0: Church, we are arriving here at the very end of Daniel, and it's been such a sweet book to go through. Throughout the whole book, the message hasn't changed. It's been that God reigns above every single earthly king, and his kingdom lasts forever. Which is really good news, because everyone in this room wants to live forever. And that's what we're going to get to hear about this evening. About God's plan for us in his kingdom that lasts forever. Now this is a difficult text. There's a lot of mysteries for us to discern tonight exactly what they mean. So let's let's get right into the beginning of Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So it says, at that time. What, what time are we referring to? You see, if we go back to the last verse in chapter 11, It talks about an evil ruler who says his time shall come to an end with none to help him. Sam talked last week about how that ruler was Antiochus. So after him, he comes to an end. And what this angel says to Daniel is that there's more suffering ahead. In fact, there's more suffering ahead than there's ever been since the foundation of the world. Now, if you look in Matthew 24... We're not going to get to turn there because the verses are actually really hard like these ones, and so it wouldn't help a whole lot to turn there. Huh. Jesus also talks about this time that's harder than any time since the foundation of the world, and he talks about the abomination of desolation, and when he's talking about it, it becomes apparent that he's talking about the Roman invasion of Jerusalem that's about to come and absolutely crushed the Jewish people. The suffering when Jerusalem falls is horrendous. But then in that same conversation Jesus also talks about the end of the age when he comes back. He does both in the same conversation. So as we read this text as we look throughout the Bible I think we should understand that there's a tribulation that's coming that's characteristic of the church age. What I mean by that is that there's a time that is coming that this angel is looking forward to that characterizes all of time till Jesus comes back. Friends, we live in a tribulation right now. We live in a time of suffering right now. A lot of you know that by experience. Right now, the suffering you're going through And if we were to peer outside of the United States to the global church, we would find that the suffering they're going through is unbelievable. I was startled to find that between 1900 and the year 2000, that that millennium or that century, more Christians died for their faith in those 100 years than all the past centuries. God will deliver his people. So right around this time, close to the time Jerusalem falls, a little bit before that, Jesus comes onto the scene. And he lives, and he dies, and he rises again. And he secures deliverance for his people. What he does is he delivers us from the power of sin, and he delivers us from the penalty of sin. And then as we know, Christ has come, Christ will come again. One day he'll deliver us from the presence of sin. So as I'm really trying to put this verse together, what I'm seeing is that we live in an age right now between the two comings of Christ. This is the deliverance that this verse is talking about. At that time. We live in this time between the two deliverances of Christ. And I think we can refer to this period or think of this period as the great Tribulation. We live in the tribulation. I can't guarantee you many things, church. But I can guarantee you that you will suffer. You will suffer. I will suffer. More than I've suffered already. We will suffer more than we've suffered already. So what do we need to get through that suffering? We need this vision. We need this vision. If we are going to be hopeful, triumphant, trusting sufferers. Not preaching to people who are trying to flee and get away from suffering. That doesn't happen until Jesus comes back. I'm preaching to people who are looking to be hopeful and suffering. So let's see what hope we have for this tribulation that characterizes our lives. This tribulation that we're in the midst of right now. As we live in a broken era characterized by sin and death and the work of the evil one. It says, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. So the first thing this t- verse talks about is that God has an angel named Michael who is his chief warrior, his chief angel, and he says, I'm going to send him to my people in this time. All of that is to say is that God is taking your situation very seriously. He has taken his best helper, he has taken his best angel and he is fighting for us right now. We all have enemies in the unseen spiritual realm. Sometimes we feel their influence. Sometimes we feel their attacks. And we would not be able to stay Christians if God didn't fight for us in that realm. They are stronger than us and they are smarter than us and they would kill us unless God were to keep us. That's right. And there is an angel named Michael who is fighting for you right now. That's one way you should be encouraged right now in your suffering. Way two. says, at that time your people shall be delivered. Who is delivered? Everyone's whose name shall be found written in the book. What does that mean? It means that if you are trusting Jesus, your name is written in God's book. It's already there. That means the end of the story is already written. You will be with him forever. No matter how much you suffer, that suffering cannot take you away from God. That's right. You can be burned alive. You could be any sort of pain could come to your life. And because your name is written in the book, you will persevere. Paul writes later, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing. The end is already determined from the beginning. One of the sweetest truths we should remember is that we will all, who trust in Jesus, we will all get to be with God not because of our faithfulness, but because of His faithfulness. He will be faithful to us, so faithful that He has written down your name in His book. So Jesus came. Jesus will come again. He came to purchase us. He came to purchase our deliverance. He came to win our deliverance. He's coming back to give it to us. It's already accomplished. You've already been delivered, and soon you will finally be delivered when he comes back. And that's what the angel decides to focus on right now as he talks to Daniel. As we finish up this vision that this angel has given him over these three chapters, he'll talk about the final deliverance that we'll get to enjoy. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The dust of the earth is a picture of death. In the book of Genesis it says, For from dust you have come, and to dust you shall return. But the angel doesn't say death. He says, sleeping. Why does he say sleeping? The answer is because death, like sleep, is a temporary state. There's no such thing as a person who won't come back to life. Every single one of us will come back to life and live forever. Every one of us, without end. And there are two possibilities for the quality of life we will have forever and they couldn't be more different. The two ways that we could live forever, and your neighbors and your friends and your co-workers could live forever, could not be more different. What are those two ways? And many of those who sleep in the dust will come awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and contempt. Friends, the two ways, the two kinds of lives there are, One is so great and wonderful and glorious that I could not describe it to you right now if I tried to. I couldn't describe it to you if I tried. And one is so horrible and awful and painful and wretched that I also couldn't describe it to you if I tried. We're going to talk more about The life that we're going to inherit. But before we do that, we need to linger on these words and sum to shame and everlasting contempt. Church, we all know people right now who, if they died right now, they would spend eternity in everlasting misery. Have you ever felt the weight of that? Not misery for a little while. Misery forever. A lot of our coworkers, a lot of our family members, a lot of our friends. There is a weight to this life and the life that is to come that is heavy. And if any of you here today are worried about, is this me? Is this where I am going to spend the rest of eternity? The answer is no one has to. There's not a person who has to. So please don't leave this room today without talking to me, without talking to someone about how this cannot be your fate. All of us hate the feeling of shame. We hate it, I hate it. Where you feel like you messed up, you feel like you're wrong, you feel like you just wanna get away from everyone and everything around you. Scriptures talk about hell in a number of ways, and one way it talks about hell is that's a feeling that people there will never stop feeling. And never stop feeling the wrongness and their brokenness. And if we're compassionate people, we must think about this and pray about this. And this reality must shape how we live and interact with other people. Let us be compassionate for the lost. Let us be compassionate for those who don't know our Savior, who don't know our Deliverer yet. On the other hand, I said this is a weighty life, and the next life to come is weighty. There is joy so high There is a place that's so good. There is hope that's so sure that I can't describe it to you. And that's what verse 3 is going to talk about. And verse 3 is also going to talk about how to get people from experiencing pain to experiencing joy. The weightiness of this life and the next life should not keep us from feeling hope and joy. Because we have a Deliverer who loves to take people from misery and death and put them into life in abundance, which is what happened to every one of us who trust Jesus. Now let's read about that future that he has for us. Let's read about that future. Verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness, like stars forever and ever. I love looking up at the night sky, especially when I'm away from the city, out in the country, and you see all those specks of light in the sky, and sometimes it hurts, it's so beautiful. Has anyone ever felt pain before they see something like so beautiful? That's the brilliance and the beauty of the life God's planned for us to have for Redford. That, that the image of the sky is only a picture of the way that we will live. Now some of us might think, so does that mean that when I die, I'm gonna float up into the stars and just be up there playing a harp, and floating around with the clouds? Is that is that the image that of our lives, of what our lives would be like? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was thinking about this this week, and there are actually two people who do literally shine like stars in the Bible. There's one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Can anyone think of who either of these people are? Just shout out their name. If you can think of the two people who literally shine in the Bible. Moses, Moses is one. Yeah, Jesus and, okay, there might have been three. <laughs> I'm glad. Yes, that's a great point. But I was thinking especially, especially, yes, Stephen. I was thinking especially of Moses and Jesus. Something happens. Both of these men, they, they walk up a mountain, and they both have face-to-face conversations with God. And after ever with God, it will be characterized by having face-to-face conversations with God, and we are going to shine like God. Our bodies won't hurt anymore, they won't grow old anymore, our hearts won't sin anymore, we're going to shine like God because we're going to be like God, and it will never end. And best of all, God's going to be there with us. This is the plan God has for us, church. This is where we're headed. And just as a verse to remind us, or a verse that just clarifies this for us, the Apostle says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, here it is, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will come back, to cause us to shine like him forever. And we should be thinking about that every single day. And we should have hope every single day. If my worst fears come to pass and I'm laying in a hospital bed, and I will never get out of that hospital bed, I should have hope because that is not permanent, that's temporary. There's no such thing as permanent disability. There's only temporary disability and permanent life for God's people. So let us hope in his future that he's secured for us. Those who are wise get to shine forever. That means if you look at Daniel 9.22, it says, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh Daniel, I have come now to give you And that word is actually wisdom, to give you wisdom and understanding. If you have any question about how to shine like a star forever, how to be with God forever, it comes from the wisdom God gives us. You cannot figure out how to do this. We must listen to God and obey God and trust him. And he will lead us to himself. There's one other phrase I want us to pay special attention to. It says, those who are wise shall shine like the stars forever and forever. Those who turn many to righteousness. Oh my goodness, church. Why are you alive? Like really, why are you breathing right now? God is giving you breath right now. Why is he? He doesn't have to do that. The reason is because most of the people we come across in the world are heading to everlasting suffering. God has rescued us in everlasting life. And he has given you the message that will free people from suffering and give them everlasting life. That's the reason you're alive right now. That's the reason I'm alive right now. Oh, that we would shape our whole lives around this great purpose. God, forgive us. Forgive us for focusing on so many other things and neglecting the souls of other people. The biggest, the big point I want us to get tonight as I preach this sermon is that our future of unending life with God should lead us to spend our lives pleading with other people to enjoy it with us. Every day, every day, this should be our focus church. I wish I would weep more. I wish I would stay up at night more. I wish that my heart would break more when I look at people I know do not know Jesus. And I just wish that we would live that way. That we would plan our lives, our schedules, our free time, our conversations, our activities around helping other people to enjoy Jesus with us forever. That's the kind of life we're supposed to have. And, I, and it's hard. It's hard. This life becomes the great tribulation when you start trying to go tell people about Jesus. I've never had someone try to kill me until I started trying to tell people about Jesus. But it's also been the happiest time of my life. When I'm out praying with people and conversing with them and spending evenings with them and talking to them about my Savior with them. I promise it, you'll have a harder life and a happier life than you could ever imagine if you spend your life turning many people to righteousness. Maybe you're worried right now that I haven't turned anyone to righteousness. I've never done it. I've never made a disciple. Then start living like you want to make a disciple and leave that up to God. He's the one who turns people to righteousness. He's the one who writes, writes names in the book, and we only have to live so that other people would turn to him. That's Thank you, Theo. <laughs> Come on. So may we think and dream about more ways <clears throat> that we can spare other human beings suffering that never ends. And may we feed bellies and give rooms in our homes and medicine and help finding jobs and all of those things, but never forget that if we don't introduce people to Jesus, we haven't actually helped someone at all. We've only made their life more comfortable until they suffer forever. So let us turn many to righteousness. God has big plans for this church. Big plans for this church. Not to use take people as some special plan to use ordinary people yeah, to right. bring people into the family of God, into relationship with Jesus, and fill this room with new disciples. That's, right. Amen. That's, right. That's God's plan for this church. Verse 4 But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is a puzzling verse. It's going to become a little bit more clear as we work our way through this, but one incredible thing we're going to find is that this vision that we're talking about right now is even more for our time than it was for Daniel's time. Daniel's going to have trouble understanding it, Daniel's going to have trouble getting what's going on. And the fact that we have a lot of insight into this isn't because we were smarter than Daniel. I promise you we're not. It's because we live in a different period in history than Daniel. A lot of these prophecies don't come true until after Daniel. Jesus doesn't come and rise again until after Daniel. The New Testament isn't written until after Daniel. And with, from the vantage point of all this revelation... We are able to see what's going on. So in that sense, this is sealed in Daniel's time, but revealed in our time. As we are able to read this whole book, we're able to discern what does this mean. So we're not smarter than Daniel. We're just in some ways more fortunate than him because of where we live in history. Shut up this book. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is a quote from the book of Amos. And um, basically what it's saying is that in times of sin, people will run to and fro trying to find God and they won't be able to find him. That's right. Does anything else characterize our world right now more than this? That's exactly a bunch of people running around looking for God and not being able on. to find him. Come on. And yet, we found him. Not, not because... We're smarter than them, but because we just happened to find this book and God and someone preached it to us and God sent his spirit to us. And so may we have compassion for those who are running around aimlessly looking for God and may we show them this book. We're just beggars showing other beggars where the bread is. We're not wiser than them, we're not smarter than them. We happen to stumble across the greatest treasure there ever was, and now we get the chance to share it with people who are running to and fro looking for this. I promise you, every soul of every person you'll ever meet is famished. There's no such thing as a full soul. And the only meal that will feed them is the book that you hold. They may hide that fact. They may deny that fact. They might get in your face about that fact. But as, as we gently and humbly and lovingly share, God will bring them to come be satisfied with Him. That finishes the vision that started in chapter 10. So Daniel has this vision. Then verse 5 says Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever that it would be for a time's time and half a time and that when the shattering of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So Daniel comes onto this vision and I guess he's having another vision. This guy has a lot of visions. Because he's seeing two angels besides a stream. Okay, we're going to see in in a lot of the Bible, angels are by rivers when they show up. I don't know why. Someone let me know if you figure it out. But there's two angels by the stream, and then there's a man above them clothed in linen. So his linen is a sign of his splendor, of his whiteness, of his purity. It's hard to be sure, but I think that this is the same man from chapter 10 and the same son of man from chapter 7. I think that this is the son of God who has come to Daniel to encourage him at the end of his vision. This is our Lord, this is our beautiful Savior, and here he is in his linen floating above these angels. And the angels want to know. The angels hear God's plan. And they say to him, how long will be to the end of these wonders? And the man in linen raised both of his hands. Okay, in our culture, we still do something like this. We raise our hand and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So this is a sign that he is speaking truly and honestly to Daniel. And what does he say? that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all of these things will be finished. As we were talking about before, there's the sack of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, and the pain and the misery that is brought. And the time it will take to get there is a time, times, and half a time Who's confused by that? (laughs) I don't think that a times time and half a time is referring to a length of time, but rather an era of time and what that era will be like. In other words, not the quantity of time, but what the time will be like, the quality of the time. So you take a time, it's one, times is two, which gives us three, and half is three and a half. So you have a total of three and a half units of time. Now, in the scriptures, there's a number that comes up over and over again from the beginning of the Bible, and it's the number of perfection, it's the number of wholeness, it's the number of completion. What number is that? The Bible starts out: God made the world in seven units of time, and it was very good. Seven units of time is very good. Okay? Three and a half units of time is broken. Three and a half units of time is half a seven. Three and a half units of time is not God's plan, it is a corruption of God's plan. The quality of time has disintegrated since the fall into sin. And the suffering that the people went through in the destruction of Jerusalem. Was not the seven that God created when He created the world. It's the times, time, and half a time of suffering. And when we turn in the Bible forward to the book of Revelation, it uses the same phrase, times, time, and half a time, to refer to the age in which we live. We don't live in the complete seven. The complete seven is coming when our Lord comes back and makes it that way again. We live in the times, time, and half a time. We live in the time of brokenness. We live in the time of suffering. We live in the time of completion, when things are not as they should be. And so we need to adjust our expectations. Now, if we were to ask ourselves, why are we not turning people to righteousness like our God wants us to? I think one of the main reasons that I struggle to do this and a lot of people struggle to do this is because we try to make here heaven Instead of waiting for it there. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Like, if we're trying to make this life the best it can be, and that's our priority, there will not be space in our life for suffering. There will not be space in our life for hosting strangers and people who cannot pay us back. There will not be time to make the sacrifices we have to make. And there will not be time to disciple and grow new believers who confess Jesus. What this verse is calling us for is a massive attitude adjustment. Yeah. We've been raised on the American dream, and the American dream will keep us from fulfilling the purpose God has for us. Mm-hmm. Wow. We live in a time, time, and half a time. Seven is coming. But it's not here yet. It's not here yet. Some of us have one more year to suffer. Some of us have 10 more years of suffering. Some of us have 70 more years of suffering. And after that, we have never suffering ever again. But for now, right now, I want to invite us to have an expectations adjustment and to turn our expectations from seven to three and a half. We are in the time sign of half the time. When God has ordained that like Jesus we will suffer before we will experience glory. And through his suffer, through our suffering, he's going to bring people to life. So what is one area, one way in your life God's calling you to suffer? One thing he's calling you to cut out. One movie night, one friendship, one something that's keeping you from loving other people like Jesus loved them? One social media app. What is it that we can cut out of our lives in order to suffer now so that more people can love Jesus with us forever? Verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. We talked about this before. Daniel doesn't have the New Testament like we do. It's sealed to him and revealed to us. And so we should be thankful for this book, the New Testament that helps us read the Old Testament. Then I said, so he says, Oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? So Daniel, first the angel asks the Lord, what's the outcome of these things? He gives the answer, it's a times, times, and half a time. And then Daniel asks the same question because he doesn't understand and he wants to know more. But the Lord says, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the end, time of the end. That's where we're at right now. Where all of a sudden, this beautiful picture of God's glory and his purpose for us to make disciples is clear to us. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 11. Now these things happened to them as an example. So he's talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. We're in the end right now. Between Christ's comings, in the great tribulation. This is our position in history. Verse 10. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Just as this book has been talking about so far, there are two ways to live and two destinies ahead of us. And some people will wash themselves and refine themselves, and some people will continue to act wickedly. And I'm just so encouraged by this verse that Jesus purifies us. Jesus purif—he made us clean. Remember earlier in this chapter, it talks about hell being everlasting shame and contempt. And then when it talks here about the work of God, it's the cleansing of us, the removal of shame, the removal of filth. This is what's happening to you. There's there's nothing that has happened to you and nothing you have done that causes God to see you any differently. He loves you through Jesus. And other people who live in shame, who have this feeling of ickiness and grossness about themselves and their sin and their soul, we can help to cleanse that. We can help to wash them by showing them who our Savior is and bringing them to Him. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. We understand, not because we are smarter than people, but because God has shown us. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is he who awaits and arrives at the 1335 days. Another puzzling verse. I think it's helpful to see that in Hebrew literature, it's often not introducing new points, but making the same points over and over again and making it more and more clear. So let's start with 1,290 days. I'll give you a guess. How About how many years do you think 1,290 days shakes out to be? Three and a half. You got it. We're back to our times, time, and half the time. 1290 days is about three and a half years. The the Lord is reiterating to Daniel, Daniel, you live in an era of suffering. Don't expect not to suffer, Daniel. But then what does it say? Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 335 days. So 1290 days of suffering... And blessed is he who gets just beyond it to the other side. Our deepest hope in suffering, our greatest hope in suffering is not that God would take it away from us, but that he would preserve us until we get to the other side, when we'll never suffer anymore. Some of you right now have suffering that you are wondering if it will ever go away. And... According to this verse, it will. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when you get to the 1335th day. Blessed are you when you get beyond this time of suffering and pain and brokenness. God is calling us as a church to a time of endurance. And he is so good. He is so good. I have have an illustration for us. I hope it's helpful. It's um, I'm just going to have to yell, I guess. <laughs> um, you take these two markers here. Like, think about this, the distance between these two markers, as the length of your life. About this long if you can't see it. Okay? And from that point where you die to the point that you stop being like Jesus, which will never be, but this is the closest estimation of it, here, this life, about this long, Real life, about that long, but actually longer. And I get so concerned about that. I spend so much time worrying about that. Instead of this. And I just want to invite us to turn our focus, church. I just want to invite us. To stop looking for hope there. Stop looking for happiness there. To stop thinking about that and start thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. And start thinking about other people who don't have this yet. Yeah. 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 Sure. This is where the book of Daniel ends. Inviting us. To not think about the kingdoms of this world, and not think about our own kingdom, and start to think about God's kingdom. This is the kingdom life that God wants us to have. This is the kingdom focus that he wants us to have, and I'm so glad that we get to do this together, because this is hard. It's hard to put our flesh to death. It's hard to live for eternity. It is hard, and we get to do this together, church. So, in summary, let us not live for here. Let us live for eternity. Let us live for eternity. Let us suffer now, and then let us have joy forever. And let us invite as many people to have that joy with us as possible. And let's rejoice that God's put our name in his book, so we get to have that with him. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, I'm blown away by you right now because your goodness is more than I could ever imagine. We all deserve eternal separation from you, but all we'll get is eternal union with you. And I just ask that you would take the book of Daniel and drive it into our hearts so that we no longer live to be happy now, but we live to make others happy forever, God. And I pray for a soul harvest in our city. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We pray for a soul harvest in our city. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.